Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and thank you again for coming to Why Do Pets Matter? Today's guest is the wonderful Sheila Goff. She is the Vice President of Government Relations at the American Kennel Club, and I must confess, a very good friend of mine. So I am so glad you're here, Sheila, and I can't wait to chat with you about the importance of the, and the capabilities of service animals. But before we start, the first question I ask everyone is, Sheila, why do pets matter to you? Deborah, thanks, first of all, for having me. It's such a pleasure. Um, so why do pets matter? You know, I want to say why, how could they not matter? You know, I think uh, there's just a ton of different reasons why they matter to a lot of different people. And, and today, um, as I mentioned, I'd like to touch on just a couple. You know, I think the first thing is, you know, from a breed perspective and coming from the American Kennel Club, I, I will admit I'm going to focus primarily on dogs. You know, our breeds are extraordinary. You know, no other domestic species has that same level of diversity that, that our dogs do. And what makes them, in, in, one of the reasons I think that they're just incredibly special is that when you think about dogs historically and how they sort of co-evolved with, with humans, our breeds are a reflection of the cultures and the people and the environment in which we've lived together. Now, set aside the, the primitive breeds who, who did develop without a lot of interaction. Um, I think of, I have northern breeds, so I think of Siberians and Samians. And those breeds have been a lifeline for their indigenous people. Um, you know, you think about historically trying to live up in Siberia, um, these people would have been unable to live in those harsh environments without those dogs. And what those dogs did is they became, yes, a part of the family, um, they developed this incredible bond, and they were a lifeline. Without those dogs, these peoples and their cultures would have died. So in one sense, um, one of the things that I, I wanted to kind of touch on was how special our dogs are because they are dogs. They're not humans. And this is one of the issues that we have with the animal rights um, proponents is they often try to humanize our pets, but our pets are important because they're animals. And we have this amazing bond that's unlike anything else we have. And you think about it after you've had a bad day at work, you come home, it's your dog that's there wagging its tail. And people who have difficulty even conversing and relating to each other can have amazing relationships with their animals. And it's so, no, it really, it's, 
It's so great you said that because I, I, I want to uh, delineate between um, animals being humanized and animals being such a part of your life that you're a better human because they're there. Um, I know that the American Kennel Club and any group that loves and supports animals doesn't want any abuse or any neglect, but they do want to recognize that these animals like to sleep out in the cold. That's where they came from. Um, they don't necessarily want to be in a house. I know there's several Siberians that I know um, that love being outdoors all the time because that's what they were bred to do. I mean, the American Kennel Club is, has started calling animals, and rightly so, purpose-bred. Before we got on this call, I told you my, my Irish setter just went to hunting camp so he can learn how to be an Irish setter. Uh, and he's in, intuitively an Irish setter, like your Siberians are intuitively um, able to be what they were bred to be. Absolutely. And they don't want to cut. And in, in it's, the wintertime is when I have a hard time getting them to come in the house. Because oh, yeah. They now, those dogs are not very good in this in this northeast humidity. And you move <laughs> further south in Raleigh, so they probably hate being in Raleigh. They're like, Mom, move to Alaska. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. I love that you are talking about historically these animals have helped us um, live better lives. I mean, at the beginning, it was hunting and gathering and bringing the food home. And, um, you know, your dogs and Alaska Malamutes, I think, were the ones that were used um, to bring the um, vaccinations to Nome, Alaska. Yeah. So those are the kind of dogs. This is what they did. Um, and, and it's interesting because the people who raise these dogs and still, you know, race these dogs and do things that are um, part of what they were bred to do, treat them like you know, kings and queens because, but with the respect for what they need to do. So it's, it's sort of a happy trade-off for the dog and not necessarily when you're not, um, if you're just observing something and not really understanding something, it really makes for a difficult conversation. And these conversations have to be had because as I said, your Siberians don't want to come in in the winter. It might be like three below, but they're like, well, never in Raleigh, but uh, you know, it's cold in Raleigh sometimes. We'll, we'll, we'll settle for 20 degrees. You know? <laughs> exactly. And then they're out there going, we're not coming in. We're having a great time. And it's like my Irish, they don't want to be out in this weather, but they love being out in the snow. So it, it and getting wet doesn't really bother them. I mean, it, it, it is really true that historically these animals have been for us certain um, helpers. And, you know, we we talked before we got on this call about the fact that not only were they helpers in keeping us alive, helping us get food and gather and things like that, but now um, during COVID and even before, they have been that emotional um, lifeline that we have um, had. And uh, although they're animals and we love them, and maybe that's why they're so great for us because, you know, they don't hold grudges. They don't usually get mad, although sometimes I guess mine might get mad at me if I don't run them enough, but not in the way that, you know, they're not human. They're, they're still those wonderful, always loving, always glad to see you um, companions that we come home to. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because we, we get into that right now, especially with COVID. Um, I think of our dogs and all of our dogs as being emotional support animals. And I think it's been just so clear to so many people um, how important they've been um, in dealing with all the challenges that, that we currently have. Um, and, you know, as, as I mentioned before, it gets us into a little bit of the issues, too, with service dogs versus emotional support animals. 
And as I mentioned, you know, I think of all dogs um, really as emotional support animals today. That's so much of what they do. And, um, and I should turn my camera on because I have this wonderful illustration from right after. It was actually the five-year anniversary uh, for AKC Gazette. It was, it's, it's the painting called My Dog Kept Me Sane. Um, and what it does was that whenever we, we go through these traumatic periods, what we find is that we really rely on our dogs to, to keep us what we feel sane, to, to, to keep us grounded. And so, you know, there's, I have just enormous, enormous respect for that role of dogs. But at the same time, you know, I think it's important to consider another amazing capacity of our dogs, which is that they not only are, they not only provide emotional support, but they also can be, you know, therapy dogs and they can be individually task trained as, as service dogs. And one of the areas that we're really increasingly focusing on um, in government relations and at AKC these days is the role of service dogs and what is the correct and proper role of service dogs. And what we've, you know, we've seen, I think everyone who's traveled in the last year or two, um, you know, you've heard about all the issues of sort of poorly trained um, or fraudulent misrepresentation of pets as service dogs. And so one of the things that we're trying to work on at AKC in conjunction with partners in the airline industry and service dog organizations is actually getting at that problem of what we, you know, we're going to call fake or fraudulent and poorly trained service dogs inundating, for lack of a better word, industries, whether it's the airlines or restaurants or hotels. And because of this increase in emotional support animals being represented as task-trained dogs or pets being represented as, as service dogs, we're actually seeing a real damage to the truly disabled individuals who rely on these amazing dogs. Um, and a way that I think about this, that I, and I want a lot of other people to think about if they would, is we're working a lot these days with um, veterans who have PTSD. And what we found is that service dogs have been able to, to really help our veterans who have PTSD come back out in the world. And these are specifically, you know, well-trained, specifically task-trained dogs that help these individuals. Um, because of the, the nature of um, the damage done by PTSD, a lot of our veterans' world have actually closed in. They don't, they're, they're fearful of going out in the public, going out and, and uh, highly public, crowded places like airports or bus stations, et cetera, their world has been closed down because of this, this terrible uh, trauma. And what their service dogs do is they open up the world for them once again. And it's the same thing with other um, more visible disabilities. And this is just an incredible testament to our wonderful dogs and how they can be trained to, to really partner with a human but the problem here is that when you have people coming in and misrepresenting an animal that is not a service dog, 
it has the effect of closing down the world for those peoples whose world has just been opened. You opened up the world by giving them a service dog, but now they're going out there and everyone's looking at them sideways. Well, is your dog really a service animal or is it just a pet? And this is particularly damaging for people with invisible disabilities. And this is one of the areas that we're really trying to get at with uh, something called Service Dog Pass, which is a program that, that AKC is currently working on. It is so important that you brought that up because that's part of what a colleague, Gary Norman, and I are doing, which is called Accommodate the Accommodator, because we want the people who need the service animals not to get immediately disheartened and angry about um, being challenged for their service animals, rather giving them the skills. And with PTSD, it's hard to have those skills because, as you said, I don't want somebody looking at me sideways. I don't want people questioning me. And under ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, I'm not required to tell you squat. And so we have to balance the I don't have to tell you squat with I'd like to educate you on why this animal is helping me live a fuller life. I'm not going to tell you I have diabetes or I have epilepsy or I have PTSD or I have you know, anxiety or, or any of a myriad of issues that dogs are specifically trained to do. Um, task trained by reputable trainers. It's a different dog than my dog, who, of course, supplies me with an incredible emotional support uh, when I'm upset or when I come home, or even if it's the um, anxiety, depression uh, that some animals do. Cats are really great at it. Dogs are good at it. Horses are good at it uh, to supply people with that possibility of decompressing in their apartment or being able to travel on a plane is an emotional support animal is a little different, very different, much, much different than a service animal. And so what you've, you've shared with my audience today, which I think is fabulous, is the AKC is coming up with a pass. And how can we make this pass accessible without necessarily having people feel as if they're giving up some right under ADA because they have to, you know, maybe say something, rather work together to say, well, this dog has been trained by a reputable trainer. This is a dog that can be out. And before we got on this call, I said to you, I had spoken to a number of psychologists who wanted to know how to best help their clients with emotional support animals or service animals. Um, and I said to them, you need to work with a behaviorist because you have to find out if, in fact, this animal that is supplying such wonderful service to your client for a depression or anxiety can really be in the public square. In your apartment as an emotional support animal is one thing. Um, and that accommodation, the Fair Housing Act, gives you that accommodation. The Airline Act, um, the airline Aircraft Carrier Act, uh, does allow you to take your animal on the airplane, but maybe your animal shouldn't be on the airplane, not because they don't supply you with a certain level of comfort, but rather it is overwhelming for them. And then they possibly uh, have act out or, or get anxious as well, and then you're putting them in a position. So I think it's great that the AKC is working with uh, trainers who are really helping people suffering with such debilitating, unseen um, issues that they may or may not talk about. I know I have a friend who has diabetes who was like beating the drum on her diabetic alert dog. So people would know there were dogs that could be trained to be diabetic, uh, diabetes alert dogs. You know, that's the other side of the coin. If you don't know, you can't get a dog that can help you if you have high sugar, low sugar. It's just incredible what dogs are able to do, be trained to do, be certified to do, get a little pass that's actually not off the internet for $25, um, and allow you to really be reputable. And, and as the, you know, John Q. Public in the, in the public square, 
I want to know that your dog was trained by someone who not only is enabling you to live a fuller life, but also is safe around me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so crucially important for how we move forward on the issue of service dogs. And the thing is that it is a, it's a really critical issue for us as a society, um, particularly as we start going back out in public. And in fact, we find that people who've been at home with their dogs may, hate to say it, don't want to give people ideas, uh, might be tempted to try to say this is an emotional support animal. This animal has gotten me through a lot. And of course they have gotten through people through a lot. So we're not- my dogs have gotten me through COVID. So, you know, that, <laughs> that, that's true. I, mean, I don't think there's any animal that no. um, we had or we acquired because so many dogs thankfully were adopted during this period, which was great for them. And even if they returned, they got the opportunity to be a house pet and maybe make a great pet going forward. But we all, um, I think, clung to our animals, got animals, but that doesn't rise to the level, as you so rightly said, that it's an emotional support animal and that it should be in the public square. Absolutely. And so one of the other things that we're doing is the program that we are working on is called um, the American Service Dog Access Coalition. And it is, um, it is a coalition with service dog groups, uh, the hospitality industry, the airline industry, and multiple other, other industries that, that actually provide those accommodations. And what we wanted to do was to get the best minds out there, bring them together, and find a solution, kind of as you talked about, where we can explain to each other um, the various different perspectives and come develop an, basically an accommodation that works for everyone. Um, so, as you noted, under the ADA, you don't have to tell anybody much of anything about your animal. But what we are tr- doing is establishing a voluntary and very authoritative credential. So the credential is something that the American Kennel Club would be behind, the leading service dog groups would be behind, the industry would be behind. And part of that involves testing at a very high level the ability of the dog to um, function as what we traditionally think of as a service dog along the lines of a dog from CCI or or CNI, guide dogs. A service dog behaves, sounds simple, like a service dog. What we expect a service dog to do, which is that they really are almost invisible. And what what we do with this is we want to, in creating this credential, establish basically it's a program like um, TSA PreCheck, where somebody's planning to travel, going to a certain place, they have um, basically a number, it's an ID, a credential that is, that is recognized, um, backed up by testing, backed up by a world-class evaluation, um, backed up by the sort of leading players in the industry as being, yes, this is a legitimate service dog. No, you don't have to have this pass, but if you have it, it will absolutely streamline the process, both for you and for that poor gate agent who's been inundated with a whole lot of different people, you know, and a whole lot of different animals. And it's not surprising that there's tensions because it is a, it's a volatile situation, a lot of pressures for everybody involved, you know, in those sort of, uh, you know, public transactions. 
I want to, so the, basically what, what the, what we call service dog pass does is it, it, it proves vaccination history. People who participate in it have to have their dogs up to date on, on vaccinations. And again, it's voluntary. You don't have to do this, but when you do this, we can guarantee this dog is in compliance with being up to date on their vaccination. Um, um, they are retested every two years because like other dogs, service dogs need to use it or they lose it. Um, we provide a mechanism to help teams that um, may be failing to meet the standards. Um, and our industry partners, likewise, um, you know, keep an eye on the dogs coming in and out, but make it much, much easier for, for service dogs to travel sort of in a, in a seamless process, whether it's you leave your home, you get in a cab, then you get to the airport, you go through the airport. Um, so you might be a person who um, has, has a hearing disability. Um, and then, you know, you're going to go from, you, you get off the plane, you're going to go to your hotel, and then you're going to go to your business meeting. Your service dog may accompany you in each of these steps, but by having the service dog pass, everything is, is streamlined much along the lines of way uh, TSA pre-check works. So this is what we're, we're, we're um, moving toward um, with the idea being that it also really builds up respect and credibility of our working dogs. Because when people do try to misrepresent a pet that isn't fully trained as one that is trained, it's not a victimless crime. What happens is that you're undermining, you know, our amazing working dogs. You're undermining the credibility of, of these dogs and of our disabled people who truly rely on them to live as normal a life as possible. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of my listeners might not know, and I know you know, that there's only a certain number of service animals that can go on any one plane. And now with less planes, there are less dogs able to go on those planes. And to take up a space for a service animal, for a blind person, a deaf person, someone who has a trained dog to alert for diabetes or epilepsy or PTSD, for an emotional support animal that's, I, I'm not making one more important than the other. However, they they are not the same. Emotional support animals are not the same. They're given an opportunity to go on airplanes and live in our apartments with us um, in no pet buildings because they enhance our lives and the ability for us to travel and the ability for us to live in those homes. But service animals happen to have specific training for that. They are they spend a good part of the beginning of their lives from anywhere from 18 months to three years learning how to do what it is they do. And so to enable them to get a pass so that, as you said, they can have a TSA pass that says this dog in a crowded situation is going to behave very well. Um, in a solo situation, an emergency situation, whatever it is, this dog is trained to react in a certain way. It doesn't mean that um, they aren't they are animals and, and they can have bad days like we can, but they are more concretely aware of what their job is than our emotional support animals who may in fact not be like that. I mean, there've been a few incidents where emotional support animals have bitten other service animals, which because I work with green chimneys and they bring a number of the service animal trainers in to talk about the risks of taking a service animal on a plane with an emotional support animal, several service animals had to retire because they were um, afraid to go on planes because they had been attacked by another dog on a plane. They didn't attack. They didn't respond at all, but they were attacked. 
So these are the kind of things I think the AKC working in conjunction with the transportation industry to find a service that would pass will hopefully um, alleviate, maybe eliminate, uh, because these dogs, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, have been trained to do such wonderful things to really make our lives better, make their lives better, too, because they love serving. Uh, I, I don't think that it's uh, a cross for them to bear. They love doing what they're doing. And I can talk from personal experience with my dear friend, Gary Norman. Um, he gives his dogs so many breaks. He's blind. And Bowie and Pilot were his dogs. Pilot's now um, passed away, but he retired a year before he passed away. And uh, Bowie is the new dog. And he gives those dogs breaks and takes such good care. I don't know about you, Sheila, but I've only been around working dogs from Guiding Eyes. I've never been around relaxing time with dogs from Guiding Eyes. And you know what? They're regular dogs. They love to get taken out of their harness, run around, throw a ball, whatever. And Gary makes it such a point to give them downtime because, as we know, um, because we work in this arena, it's it's hard work for them to do this all the time. And I know from my experience now with Gary and other um, disabled leaders uh, who use service animals, that their consciousness to let these dogs relax and be dogs is is unbelievably important in the whole scheme of things. So it, I, I love that the AKC is doing this and working to give everyone the ability to understand that this dog has been specifically trained to do a job. It doesn't mean that you're a dog who provides a service to you can't meet the standard, just have them certified. Absolutely. And, you know, the the thing with the evaluation and certification is that it looks very, very carefully at those particular tasks. Um, We're one of the things that is just so valuable, I think, about this credential um, and this program is that we've actually worked with leaders to develop a very, very high quality evaluation. Number one, we're looking at the behavior. And, you know, so it's not only the ability to behave in certain circumstances. To your point earlier, we also want to make sure that this dog can be comfortable in highly stressful situations. Not every dog is going to feel comfortable getting on a plane. There's also you know, all sorts of strange noises, smells, vibrations, etc., cetera, um, which is another area we can discuss, discuss at another time about problems with flying pets. But so you, you look at this evaluation, but then we also look very carefully to at the specific tasks this dog is going to be doing to mitigate whatever that disability is. And we, of course, traditionally think of um, eyesight or hearing, dogs to help with those areas. I mentioned PTSD before. We talked about uh, diabetes alert. There's just an innumerable number of ways that dogs can assist us. And so what we really look at, too, is making sure that these dogs really can perform a task that specifically mitigates um, the disability that that individual has indicated the dog should be should, is um, is addressing, um, and so those are just very very important sort of differences between um, what you might see with other organizations attempting to uh, credential, particularly we see a lot of this online, and with what the American Kennel Club and the service dog organizations are doing, really taking the idea of a credential taking it extremely seriously and 
and really providing a very, very high quality credential that people can trust. And it's taken some time to develop all of this. We thought it would be a lot easier than it was. We've had to go back and start all over several times to really get it right. So we're now um, preparing, and of course, COVID-19 slowed this down. The situation of the airline industry has slowed this down, the hospitality industry. But we are getting ready to be beta testing by the end of this year. Well, I can't wait. I'm, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want to wrap up with the three things I'm taking away, and I'm sure all my listeners are taking away as well. So the first point, which I thought was phenomenal, that historically our animals have been part of our lives. They are our companions. They have jobs to do. They've had jobs to do. And that in our lives has really served us historically. Second, the AKC is working on this great service dog pass, which I hope um, will come to pass. And if I can be of any assistance, please let me um, help, because it really is important to bring in the people who are going to be using the pass to hear if they can actually use it, uh, because Gary Norman and I spend most of our time figuring that out, because it, it everybody makes passes that work for the industry, but not necessarily for the people who are using them. So it's really key to bring that in. Um, and the third piece was uh, the explaining of perspectives and perceptions. People right now have a difficult perception of dogs that are flying on planes, dogs that are in hotels, things like that. Are they companion dogs? Are they emotional support animals? Or are they service animals? And those are three really different categories because my dogs are companion dogs. Your dogs are companion dogs. Emotional support animals um, are allowed on airplanes and in uh, no pet buildings because they're uh, owner really is receiving a service from them, but they're not necessarily trained to do that service. They just provide it and make someone's life better. It's a whole different, we'll talk about that next time you come back, Sheila. Uh, All right. <laughs> and finally, service animals are the ones that are completely trained to do a certain task. And although ADA, which I agree with, doesn't require anyone to divulge what it is that the dog serves them doing, being able to, um, evaluate whether or not this dog is um, specifically trained to do certain tasks and is really good in the public square so everyone's safe is key, I think, to the reason why the AKC service dog pass will be so important. Thank you so much, Deborah. This has just been absolute pleasure um, and I've enjoyed it. Well, hopefully you'll come back again because we have so much more to talk about because we started and I did mention preservationist breeders, which is key. And then I'd love to talk about veterinarians and things like that. We have so much to talk about. But this is and coming back again, I, you know, I can't wait. Uh, it's Deborah Hamilton. Why do pets matter? And Sheila Goff has given us a boatload of information with respect to service animals and the new program, the AKC, the American Kennel Club is coming up with for the service dog pass. Please let me know what you think. And all the service notes will give information where you can learn more. Deborah Hamilton, join us next time. Have a great day. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to share it um, and to make a comment because it it raises our points in iTunes and everywhere else so we'd greatly appreciate it take care you've been listening to the podcast why do pets matter this is Deborah Hamilton do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com 
or email me at why do pets matter podcast at gmail.com until next week. Our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.